God, we love you, and we are so thankful for you, and so thankful for everything that you're doing in the life of this church, and God, we are excited this morning to open up your word once again, and God, I just pray that as Rob speaks this morning, that his words would be your words, that they are divine words for, for your people and your place this morning. God, no one came to hear from Rob this morning. We all come to hear from you. God, we need a word from you. We desire a word from you. We seek a word from you. We're hungry for a word from you. And God, we just pray uh, that you would speak through Rob this morning. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Where God's people gather and the Spirit of the Lord is among us, good things happen in our lives. And so it's a joy for Debbie and I to be able to be with all of you today. And uh, we just know that there have been good things happening here. I'm so thankful. You know that you have just like one of the best pastors in all the world, right? Amen. And you definitely have the best pastor's spouse in the world, you know? And so you guys are a blessed group, and so it's a joy for us to, to be able to be here this morning. And so I want to invite you to just take your scriptures this morning and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and I want to read a passage that I'm sure you're familiar with, but we just invite the Spirit of God to speak into each of our lives today. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. This is God's Word. Now... The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, This man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God, and we are grateful. Have you ever taken the time to consider why he did it? Why God, the creator of the universe, would make the choice to take up residence here among us? Why he would put on a flesh and blood body like ours with all of its brokenness and all of its limitations to move into the neighborhood here among us? Well, why would he do that? Well, we immediately say, well, he did it because he loves us. Amen? Okay. He, he did it because he loves us. Amen? And he loves us because he can't help himself. God is love. And so we all believe that. Theologically, we understand that God came because he loves us. He loves us because it is his very nature. But in saying that God loves us and so he came to be with us, there is this underlying hope in all of humanity, that we hope, at least on some level, that God loves us because we're lovable, right? I mean, you're lovable, right? Would you turn to the person next to you and just say, you are so lovable. Would you just say that to somebody around you? You are so lovable. 
Except that we, uh, we know the truth, don't we? We get up in the morning and we look in the mirror. We know the truth about who we are. The truth is we're not that lovable. If you're not real clear on that, just read Facebook today or get on Twitter or read the news and, and you'll be reminded of the brokenness that is within each of us. There's an ugliness that's in all of us where we say things and we do things, even to the people that we love, that hurts them. We know that there's a brokenness within us that we don't want to be like that, but we just can't seem to fix what's wrong within us. And so why would God make the choice to intentionally become one of us and move into a neighborhood that, quite frankly, is just not that great? And so I've been thinking about all of that, and it took me back to the days when Debbie and I first got into ministry. We had just graduated from Point Loma, and we took our first assignment as youth pastors in a church in Southern California. So we got our little apartment, and we were so excited. We had moved into the neighborhood, and we were going to save the whole world. It was awesome. It was going to be a great, great season uh, for us. Well, it didn't take us very long to get a sense of what the neighborhood was like. Uh, there were young couples, mostly our age, that had filled this big apartment complex that we were living in, and they all loved to party. I mean, they got together all the time, and they were just always having a big party, and so that was the neighborhood. Well, one evening, Debbie and I came home, and as we were walking up towards our apartment, uh, we began to hear screaming, and it wasn't like good screaming. And as we got a little closer, we could, we could hear that it was really, really angry screaming. And we got a little closer, and we saw our neighbors from two doors down, and there was blood all over her, and there was blood all over his face. And we knew that there was something really wrong, and they're screaming at each other, and he begins to scream, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to get my gun and kill you. And he turns around and goes back towards their apartment. At that moment, I'm thinking to myself, now, what class did I take in college? What, what day was it? What class was it that I was prepared for this moment? And I realized that there was nothing in all of my education that had prepared me for that moment. Well, Debbie, she takes the, the young lady and, and takes her into our apartment, and I went after the guy. And As I walked into their apartment, there was stuff that was just broken all over the place. Uh, there was blood on the walls. We discovered later that their little baby was still asleep and had slept through the whole thing in the other room. I, I found him and was able to, to talk him down, and, and he was just pouring blood out of his face. They'd gotten in a big fight, and he'd been beating her, and they ended up in the kitchen, and she got a hold of the glass blender, and she had just torn him to pieces. And so I got some towels on his face, and I began to try to stop the bleeding, and I'm I'm holding him on his face, and all of a sudden the cops came in. It was in that moment that I, I, I was aware of what their neighbors that they loved to party with had done. They had all locked their doors and pulled the blinds and called the cops. And, and so in that moment, you, you might get a sense that we didn't all of a sudden feel all that safe living in that neighborhood. And we recognized after that night that if we were going to continue to live there, we had one of two choices. We would either have to become like all of the neighbors, lock the doors, pull the blinds, call the cops, or we would have to make the decision 
could become missionaries in the neighborhood. We would have to reimagine who we were and why we had decided to live in that particular place. And so as I was thinking again about that story, I began to think about God, the Son, Jesus, who made the decision to leave that really nice neighborhood that he'd been living in. You remember the one? Heaven, streets of gold, glory all around, everything is absolutely awesome. He leaves that really nice neighborhood to step into our very broken neighborhood with all of its struggle and with all of its sorrow. And in the midst of his coming and becoming a part of our human neighborhood, he was saying, we're not locking the doors. We're not pulling the blinds. We're not calling the cops. And in his coming, he revealed to everybody, I am a missionary God. It's who I am. I want you to understand what, what, what it's all about. You see, that's what missionaries do. When the Church of the Nazarene sends missionaries out wherever they go, most of the time they leave a comfortable setting. It's what they're familiar with. It's, it, it's safe. It's where their family's at. It's, it's where their history's at. And they step out of all of that and they, they move into places that are almost always uncomfortable and very often unsafe. You talked about Malaysia and I know that in the Church of the Nazarene, we have many missionaries that work with local pastors where the pastors say, if you haven't been beaten a time or two, if you haven't been in jail a time or two, you're not a very good pastor. And so that's what our missionaries often do. They leave comfort and they go into challenging places because there is this sense that God has sent them. And so why did he do it? Well, he did it because he was a missionary God. He has a missionary mind and a missionary heart. That's who God is. And so here are all of us today. We're the people of God. Amen? We are the people of God, and we love God. Amen? And we all desire to be like Christ. That's part of why you're here today. You desire to be like Christ. You love God. And so as followers of God, of Jesus Christ... We understand that now then our God is a missionary God. And if our God is a missionary God and we want to be like Christ, then that would make us a missionary people, right? Missionary God, missionary people. Say, say it with me. Missionary God, missionary people. It's who we are. And so, as I have been reflecting on this passage of Scripture, I want us to just open it up today so that we can understand not only who our God is, but what He's calling us to participate in. And so I want us to just think a little bit about this passage in Luke 15. By the time this story unfolds, Jesus is well into His three-year missionary journey. And the crowds at this point are huge. They are growing all the time, but there's a problem with the people that are coming. You see, there were the wrong people that were coming and getting excited about being around Jesus. And the church people, the religious people, the, the faithful, proper people, they were having a hard time with what was being said and what was being done. And after all, if you stop and think about it, you could understand why it would have been hard for them. To the faithful, here were some of the things that Jesus was saying. He was saying, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. 
And you see, for us here, beautiful. I mean, we understand what it's, what it's all about, but we, we have a hard time imagining what that really meant in, in first century. You see, for them, they all knew people who had been dragged out of their houses, their property confiscated, dragged to some trial, and then nailed to a cross where they screamed and hung there until they died. To take up your cross was what Uncle Bob did when he was killed by the Romans. To take up your cross meant losing everything. Lord, are you really serious about this? How can you possibly say these kinds of things? Jesus was saying things like, if you, if you love me, if you want to be my follower, but if you don't hate your wife, your husband, your children, your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life, you can't be my follower. Well, Lord... Who then can do this? This is a hard thing. Do you understand what you're saying? He was saying things to the people, to the faithful people. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. Well, Lord, now it's just gross. This is just gross. What are you saying? What is it that you're calling us to? And so you have this sense that the faithful, the religious people they were having a hard time. But these other people, the, the messy people, they seemed to be drawn to Jesus. They wanted to be around him. And, and I've often thought, why was it that they wanted to be around him so much? And I've thought to myself from time to time that maybe they wanted to be around him just because they knew that he irritated the religious people. But that's probably not the deal. I think the deal is that they felt welcomed. They felt safe in the presence of Jesus. Even though they knew that they were messy, that they were broken, they knew that when they were with Jesus, he was never going to throw stones. He was never going to make them feel uncomfortable. He would never lie about their brokenness. He would always speak truth. But there would be this sense of safety in the presence of the Lord and so they were drawn to him. They wanted to be around him. It was, it was why they had this sense of longing. Their hearts were drawn to what he was communicating. We understand a little bit of that in thinking about what Paul said about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. You remember this passage? He wrote, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. And that's why they wanted to be around him. There was something about him that was not like anybody else they had ever met. And so... Then here are all these people, the, the other people, the, the messy people. And the Bible clarifies exactly who it was that was coming. It was the tax collectors and sinners. It kind of puts them in that order, tax collectors and sinners. Now the tax collectors, they were among the most hated people in all of Israel. They were the traitors. 
Most of these tax collectors were Jewish people that had gone to work for Rome to collect the taxes. They had a job to do, but they used the Roman military muscle to extort money from their own people. And so uh, there were a few honest tax collectors, but most of them had become incredibly wealthy, taking advantage of their own people, and everyone hated them. Whatever the sinners were, the tax collectors were worse. And so these were the people that seemed to be coming to Jesus, the tax collectors and the sinners. And so I've been trying to imagine that because we say tax collectors and sinners today, and that just doesn't quite connect. It's hard for us to really imagine, and so I've been thinking about it this way. It would be like you saying to your children and your grandchildren, you see those people? Don't ever, ever, ever go around those people. They are dangerous. They will hurt you. They will destroy our family. See, those people, those are the people that we don't want to be around. And so I've been thinking about it in the context of the the church and what it would be like. And here's kind of the way that I've imagined it. Let's just suppose that, um, let's just suppose that Jesus came back for like three months. Would that be okay? Not for a long time, but Jesus just decides to come back for three months. And he decides to set up shop in Fresno. And so of all the places, Jesus chooses Fresno. And so he's going to be here for like three months. And so during the week, he's just going to do his Jesus thing. He's going to be out there teaching and preaching and healing and blessing. It's going to be awesome. But on Sunday, he decides that he's coming to Fresno first. After all, he is a Nazarene, right? So you got to go to Nazarene church. So during the week, Jesus thing out there. But on Sunday, he's going to be here with the Nazarenes, Jesus the Nazarene. And so first Sunday shows up, the word's kind of got now, and the house is packed. There's not a seat in the house. Pastor Chris, he's got a great sermon ready to go, but he kind of steps back and says, well, Lord, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you should be the one. Do you think that would be the way it was, you know? And so Jesus gets up and speaks, and people are moved, and it's this incredible service Oh my, Jesus was in church today. And you're pretty excited about all of that. And so the next Sunday, you begin to talk and everybody's talking and he's been out there all week. And the next Sunday, it's standing room only. They're sitting on the floors. They're all along the wall. They filled the foyer out there. There are people everywhere. And you're saying, thanks be to God. Jesus has come. It's just this incredible time. But church is over. And you all walk outside, and there's cigarette butts everywhere. And there's beer bottles. And some of them are broken. And you find some needles out in the parking lot. And you all are the ones that have to stick around. You stay for an hour cleaning up the mess of the broken people that came to meet Jesus. And you're still kind of saying, thanks to be God, it's really good, it's really good. Uh, third week comes, and, and now then you can barely manage the crowd, and you got here a little early, but you had to park down the street. Now then there was such an incredible crowd, it was just kind of chaotic. And that day you noticed, even as you were walking in, just beer bottles and, and cigarette butts and needles and just all kinds of chaos, and the kids were just out of control. And now then you're just kind of struggling inside. You have to stay an hour and a half on the third Sunday to get it all cleaned up. But by the fourth Sunday, you show up. And you get here like an hour early. 
and you have to park like six blocks away because there are so many people and it's raining and you have to walk in the rain and you didn't bring your umbrella and now you're kind of beginning to grumble by the time you get here. After all, this is your church, right? You built it. You sacrificed for it. You've given so much. You're the ones who pay the bills, who take care of the place. And the people that have come, they're just jammed in here. And all you want to do is just get close to Jesus to be able to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you gave and thank you for what you've done. My life has been forever transformed, but you never even get close to him because of all of these chaotic, messy people. And finally, they all leave when Jesus leaves and it takes you more than two hours to clean up the mess that day. All of the stuff that they have left and then you have to walk six blocks in the rain without an umbrella. And now you're just grumbling out loud. And you're saying to yourself, you know, maybe next week Jesus could go to Clovis. There's a nice Nazarene church over there. Or maybe he could go over to Pastor Ron's church. You know, there's some other Nazarene churches that the Nazarene could show up at because we're not sure that we can handle Jesus being at our church. And you'd begin to feel this struggle within and that's what was going on. Lord, we don't feel safe around those people. Our kids don't feel safe around. Do you understand that they've been traitors? That they have turned against their own people. Lord, why are you doing this? And there was this great struggle that was going on within. You see, the people had been expecting God to show up for a long time. 400 years they'd been waiting. But they had imagined that when he showed up, that he'd want to spend time with the faithful. Wouldn't you kind of think that if Jesus showed up here, that you would at least hope that he would say, hey, can we go out to dinner this week? I, I, want to pre I just want to express my appreciation for all that you've done, the way that you serve in the church, the way you keep it up. Could, could, could we just have dinner this week? And, and could I come to your kids' baseball games? And, and if you're in the hospital, I'll, I'll come and be with you there. You would just expect that, that Jesus would want to be with the faithful and instead, he just seems to spend all of his time with these other people. And you're struggling because it's not the Jesus that you expected to show up. People had been expecting God to show up for 400 years, but they were disappointed and they were struggling because it was not the God that they had imagined was going to show up. I've been thinking about that when I was uh, about three or four a little younger than all these kids. Our church was having a big Christmas party. And they'd announced going to be a big Christmas party, going to be games, going to be food, but Santa Claus is coming. Going to be awesome. Got to invite your friends. I was so excited. The little guy, I can just imagine what it's like. I'm going to get to sit on Santa Claus's lap. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to get to ask him for all this stuff. And so finally the day came and we all showed up and we're playing games and we're eating and having a great time and all of a sudden breaks in, ho, 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 and here he comes, big red suit, big bowl of jelly, big white beard, kids are all screaming and lining up and, and so finally it's my turn and I climb up in Santa Claus's lap. The anticipation is about to kill me as I finally look into his face and I look into his face and I scream you're not Santa Claus, you're just my Uncle Charles. <laughs> and everything was ruined. 
And I ruined the day for some other kids that were close to me as well. He was not the Santa Claus I was expecting. He was not the Jesus. He was not the God that they had been expecting. And so Jesus, because he loves them, gives them this what-if story. The story of a shepherd and, and some sheep so that they could begin to understand who he was and what he was calling them to participate in. He says, suppose, suppose one of you is a shepherd and you have a hundred sheep, that's all you have, and one of them wanders away. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us whether the sheep wandered away because it was mad at the shepherd or it had a bad experience in sheep Sunday school. It doesn't give us any of the details of why the sheep wandered away, just that one wandered away. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 in the open. There is implied risk to the 99 that now they are alone because the shepherd had to make a choice. And so while there is some risk to the 99 who are left in the open by themselves, there is great risk to the shepherd who now goes into the dark and dangerous places to find the one who had wandered away. And Scripture records that Jesus said in the story that when the one was found, the shepherd began to rejoice. He pulled out his phone and he got on Facebook and he posted a little picture, Lammy has been found. And he called everybody, come and rejoice. What a great thing. Come and rejoice. It was this incredible moment. Now the scripture does not tell us anything about how the other sheep responded. We, we don't know what their attitude was, but they're left out of the story completely. But who is it that's rejoicing? Well, it's the other sheep hunters. It's the angels, and it's the heavenly host that have been engaged in the mission to find the one who wandered away. And so now then you begin to get this sense of, of the significance of Jesus and what he calls them to and of who he is. Now, if we begin to think about this passage and really begin to be completely honest, this is one of those hard passages in Scripture. It's kind of disturbing. Because if Jesus is the good shepherd, that makes us the good sheep. He's the good shepherd. We're the good sheep. And so the question follows, Lord, Lord, would you really leave us? Would you really just leave us? If you had to make a choice, would you, would, would you not show up here on Sunday morning? Would you be out there if you had to make a choice? And Jesus wants them to be able to understand exactly who he is. That if there was only one in all the world, even though there are countless people who are far from God, who are lost, if there was only one, and if I had to choose... I would choose to pursue the one who was lost. Now, of course, we're grateful that God is omnipresent. You know that theological word? God is here, and where else is he right now in all the world? Everywhere. God is present everywhere. But he says, this is how important those people who are far away are to me. If there was only one in all the world, and if I had to choose, I would not be here on Sunday morning. I would be out there in the dangerous places. I would be out there looking for the one 
who had wandered away. And so we begin to think about all of that, that what that means about Jesus and what that means about us. That he cares so much for the people who are far away that if he had to choose, if he had to decide being here or being out there, he seems to be saying, I would be out there with those who are far away. And so I've been thinking about us. We care about the lost, don't we? Not a trick question. We care about lost people. Amen? We do. We care immensely about lost people. We pray for them. It's a big deal. But I've been thinking of it in this way, trying to find a a way to express how we might measure our concern for lost people. We know Jesus cares about lost people. He told us this story. We care about lost people. How much? I think that's one of the the points of of just honesty that we need to come to grips with in our own lives as the people who love God and who desire to follow Him. I've been thinking about it this way. Let's suppose that next Sunday you all showed up, nice crowd, everybody's excited, you all show up, but Chris and Rachel aren't here. No no word, uh, not sure what's going on, there's no worship. Uh, No band, no preacher, no worship. You all show up, but there's no worship. And so you come in and you're kind of unsettled about that. There's supposed to be worship on Sunday morning. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? There's supposed to be worship on Sunday morning? How long would it be before I would get a call? Pastor Rob, all the people showed up today. But no Pastor Chris, no sermon, no worship, no singing. There was no worship. This is unacceptable. How long would it be before I'd get that call? I'm thinking about 30 minutes after the service was supposed to start. Right? You would say, this just cannot be. And that's understandable. Well, let's take it to the next step then. Let's suppose that next Sunday, Pastor Chris is on fire. I mean, he's always a great preacher, but you say to yourself, I have never heard you preach like that before. You took it to a level that is beyond anything that I had ever imagined. The music is just fabulous. The music today was great, but it goes to a whole nother level. And the spirit in this place is just so, so powerful. And you go home and say, man, worship was just awesome today. But discipleship just goes away. There is none. There are no classes. There is no work to form the people in the likeness of Christ beyond what happens here. Worship is phenomenal, but there is no discipleship. How long would it be before I'd get a phone call? Pastor Rob, I I just need to tell you, Chris is just, he's killing it. He's rocking it. He's amazing. But our church doesn't have any discipleship. And this is unacceptable for the people of God How long would it be before I'd get that phone call? Probably not day one. It might be a few weeks. might even be two or three months. But I'm going to get that call. Sooner or later, somebody's going to call and say, this is unacceptable. Well, well, let's take it to the next step, and you all know where I'm going. Let's suppose that Pastor Chris is just amazing. He just gets better and better. And discipleship, you have never been in classes, in small groups. You have never been in anything that fed your soul so deeply. 
You were so in love with Scripture and with this desire to, to just love God more. But evangelism, outreach, just went away. There was none. Great worship, great discipleship, zero evangelism, zero outreach. How long would it be before I'd get a phone call from somebody in the church to say, Pastor Rob, great worship, great discipleship, zero evangelism. This is unacceptable. How long would it be before I'd get that phone call? Well, what I know is that I've been DS for eight years, and you can believe me when I tell you I've gotten a phone call about just about everything under the sun, and I've never gotten that phone call, not once. Now, it's not an attack. It's not a criticism. It's, it's a reality check for, for me, for you, for the body of Jesus Christ, because we are the faithful people. We are the people who, who built it and paid for it and clean it and care for it. You are the faithful. But sometimes we get caught in that trap of being the faithful people that are consumed with faithfulness and begin to lose sight a little bit of mission and who Jesus really is. And sometimes we want Jesus to be something other than what he really is. We're not really sure we want him to be a missionary God. Or he can be a missionary God, but he ought not to call us to participate in that mission. But I think that's, that's what it's all about. That's why, that's why you invited Chris and Rachel to be your pastor. That you might together become a missionary church. That's the most exciting, most engaging church that you could ever imagine. Is when a church becomes missionary in the depths of its DNA where everything begins to, begins to be seen in the light of mission and, and how we can move beyond the walls, that we're not here to serve ourselves. We're here to join Jesus serving them, Amen. reaching those that don't even like your church, Amen. don't like your pastor, they don't like you. Amen. But somehow they need to be drawn to Jesus. Amen. They've wandered far away. And so where would it all begin? Somehow it needs to start in me. And, and I just ask you this question. Uh, what's your temperature this morning? Not the 98.61, but your temperature towards the people who are far from God's heart. And again, it's not a criticism. It's just a, a sense of helping you to begin to think about this. So if you would say honestly before God today that, you know, I love God, but I, I don't really think much about lost people. I, I don't really have a list of lost people that I'm praying for. It's not really high on my list. Maybe I'm, a, I'm a, like a one. That's my temperature is a one towards people who are far away. Or, or maybe you'd say, you know, I'm a five. And I think about it a fair amount. I actually know my neighbors who are far from God. I kind of intentionally reach out. Or maybe you'd say, I like, I'm, a, I'm a nine. I've been in my neighbor's homes this week. I've been talking to people in the store. I prayed with some people. I'm always trying to think about how I could have a spiritual conversation to see if somebody would be willing to, to maybe open their heart to Jesus to at least come to church with me. 
What's your temperature? Between 1 and, and, and 10? And see, I think those are the conversations that we need to be having with each other. You know, we all get together and, and hey, you know, wasn't this great or wasn't that great? And, but to have those important spiritual conversations. Imagine if we started greeting each other on Sunday morning. And, and hey, how are you? What's your temperature? Hey, how you doing? How's that ball going? Hey, what's your temperature? Well, it's only about a four this week. It's been a hard week. Hey, can we pray together? Can we talk together? Who are you praying for? Let me pray for them. Let me tell you who I'm praying for, where there begins to be list making and, and, and prayer gatherings, where we begin to pray for people that are far from God, where you all know who the others are praying for. And, and then you begin to say strategically within the church, what are we already doing? And how could we include faraway people into that? If we're having a barbecue, how can we have a barbecue for the faraway people? If we're having a, 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 a ball game, how can we include the faraway people? What can we do to think as missionaries? You know, if I took you all today and we all got on an airplane together and we're flying over some far, far away country where nobody has ever heard about Jesus, and all of a sudden I opened the door and I went, and I pushed you all out with parachutes. And you landed in this faraway country where nobody knew about Jesus. I know what you'd do because you love Jesus. You would immediately begin to figure out how do we make connections? How can we get the church started? How can we share the good news? Who, who can I meet? Who can I connect with? You would become missionaries. And so he's just inviting you. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm a missionary God. Welcome to the party. And so we then begin to reimagine, why do I live in that neighborhood? Why do I work at that place? Why am I even here on this earth? Why am I sitting in church? Missionary God, missionary people. And God says, this is what I desire you to be. And when you do that, I just would lay the call before you this morning. Again, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm, I'm here to make you feel excited in Christ. Could you imagine a church where every week there are people coming to faith? Every week there are new people coming that were far from God. They begin to share their stories. And you get so excited when there are cigarette butts at the front door. Man, look at this. There's cigarette butts and beer bottles in our parking lot. And that means that God is showing up and something great is happening. And I get the pleasure of cleaning up the mess afterwards. And then you know. Something has changed. I'm different. I've been changed from the inside out. I'm a missionary to Fresno. And I didn't do it. God did it. And I'm so excited. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just burdened for my neighbors, for my friends, for people in the office. And God begins to work in and through that, that you might be the people God has called you to be. Amen? And this is what it's all about. It's everything that is in Pastor Chris's heart. We've had these conversations. And I think it's in your hearts as well. And so I've just come to remind you today of what you already believe. And just encourage you to reaffirm that this is what we want to be, the people that we want to be. And so I want to pray over you today. And as I pray...
I want each of you, I would encourage each of you to just say, Lord, that's my heart. That's what I long to be. I confess that too often I've thought that this was about the faithful. That too often I've, I've wanted it to be about me. I haven't thought enough about the others. My temperature isn't high enough. I'm not yet fully there. It's not in my DNA yet what I want it to be. And so, Father God, this morning, by your holy power, I pray that you would move among these precious people, people who love you deeply, who have come here because they love you and they want to be transformed into your likeness more and more, day by day. So, God, we just ask that you would bless them, that there would be a fresh anointing on this place that you would pour out a fresh anointing on Chris and Rachel and the board and the people who teach classes and the band that leads worship. God, would you just be in all of it? And Lord, we, we fully understand that you're a missionary, God. That's why you came. And so God, we just confess and ask that you would help us to be a missionary people who are called to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Bless this church In its hundred-year-plus history, you have touched countless lives. In the next hundred years, may you touch even more, more than we could ever ask or even imagine. And so God, bless them, be with them, anoint them, gift them, send them in your name. And we ask it in your precious holy name. I would ask you to just stand, and as we close, I want to just speak a blessing over you. And I invite you to receive it as you would put out your hands. May it not just be some gesture. May your hands represent your heart. In the depths of my heart, this is what I long to receive. And so the blessing that I offer is this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may His word form you in his likeness. May he pour his spirit into you and then send you into this world that we may be the missionary people that God has called us to be. May he bless you and keep you, heal you, form you, send you in his holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Great to be with you today. You are not dismissed but you are sent in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Have a great day.